Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, the Facebook algorithm. Facebook is introducing some big changes to your newsfeed. The social media giant said Thursday that it will prioritize content from your friends and family. People come to Facebook to connect with the people who matter to them. And over the next year, our team's mission is to help you have deeper, more meaningful interactions with people you care about. Is it a change for the better or something more ominous? A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Those are the voices of some former Facebook high flyers from last year's Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. That documentary and a series of high-profile critical articles prompted a counter-argument a couple of weeks ago from former UK Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg. He's now Facebook's Vice President for Global Affairs and Communications. In his blog, he said that it takes two to tango and you're just getting from Facebook a reflection of what you put into it. This blog's been described, among other things, as willfully naive. I think Facebook, they know broadly that there are bad outcomes from this product. Um, I think they are often in denial about the degree to which those outcomes are negative and the magnitude of them. I think it's kind of interesting, this notion of trust and how much trust we put into these corporations to make these sorts of decisions. Um, I think they are aware that that trust is eroding. It's that sort of um, how it started, how it's going meme, where how it started is this is a website to rank hot girls at my college, and how it's going is this is a website that you know the United Nations found had a determining contribution to the genocide of the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar and has you know been involved in interference in elections around the world. It's a more depressing meme than the usual one. That's Newsroom's Mark Dalder, who's written an analysis of Facebook's algorithmic funhouse mirror. And we'll get back to him soon. But first, the man who coined the funhouse phrase, Dr. Andrew Chen. He's a University of Auckland researcher in digital technology, in particular in regard to privacy and ethics. I asked him first to explain exactly what an algorithm is. So an algorithm is just really a set of instructions that a developer has written. In the context of something like Facebook, what we're really interested in is machine learning, where the algorithm is changing how it behaves based on data that you give it. And so in the context of Facebook, what we're saying, well, what they're saying is that you have user data Um, So how a user interacts with the platform, what they're looking at, what they're clicking. And that allows the algorithm to customize what content it then shows to the user. Um, And so all of this is sort of done in an automated way, which is why it's the algorithm. But it's it's a step beyond what um, we might have previously considered as just sort of being code that was written by a human, because there is the aspect of the computer adjusting and adapting over time. It's also getting data from off the Facebook platform itself. So there are lots of websites and apps that have tracking pixels in them that then feed data back to Facebook. Tracking Um, pixels. Yeah, so there's uh, just sort of hidden information in the code behind some of these websites where they might have a Facebook integration 
on that website, um, and it will be using you know things like cookies to track what websites a person is visiting, um, and then using that to form a, essentially a profile of what that person might be interested in. And I presume this includes the the other apps that Facebook owns, and Instagram and WhatsApp? Yeah, so all of these different apps have slightly different rules, but you have to assume that if you're using WhatsApp or Instagram or Messenger, that there is information that's being collated in your Facebook profile. So it's a pretty massive data collection tool. Yeah, and I think that this is one of the things that Nick Clegg's letter doesn't really acknowledge. Is um, he, he sort of talks about that the algorithm is learning from the user's interactions with Facebook, but it doesn't go into the detail of how broad that data collection goes because it includes a lot of stuff that is not on Facebook.com and users may not be aware that their actions on other websites are then feeding into their Facebook profiles. I mean, I would say they generally wouldn't be aware, are they? You open up Mm. Facebook, see what your friends have been doing in the weekend and there's a lot more to it behind the scenes. Yeah, and on one end of the spectrum, you can say that it's relatively benign because all they might be doing is customising your advertising and maybe prioritising the posts that you like to show you the content that you want. Yeah, which on the surface is kind of nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, exactly. And then on the other hand is the sort of more insidious side, which is, yeah, they're using information about you that you may not really know is being collected about you to serve you content that um, you may not actually want. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. Our goal is that the time people do spend on Facebook will be better. Facebook was built to connect you to the stories and people that matter most. So we're going to keep listening to you and working hard to make sure that's what you see every day. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. Hmm, quite the contrasting tones there. How does Andrew Chen see Nick Clegg's statement that Facebook's algorithm reflects what users show it? The more that I thought about it, the more I went, okay, well, if it is indeed a mirror, then it's not a standard mirror, um, and this is where the metaphor of the funhouse mirror comes in. Um, we sort of think about, well, the mirror is sort of distorting what um, a, a user is showing to it and reflecting it back in a distorted way because it's not reflecting the whole self. It's reflecting the bits and pieces that we show to the algorithm um, through our activities online and then magnifying certain parts of those. So there's a question of what we show to the algorithm. There's also the question of how the mirror is designed by the developers at Facebook, where the curves are. And then there's also the role of everybody else Um, Because the algorithm is also informed by other people's choices. And so this would be if, you know, there are other people standing behind you in the crowd that also get reflected in the mirror back to you. Um, So it's, it's not quite as simple as just, oh, well, if I click on a link that has a picture of a cat, then Facebook will show me more cats. It's uh, quite a bit more complicated than that. More cats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I tried to do. I tried to train the algorithm to just show me more pictures of cats. And to some extent it worked, but there's still a lot of other stuff that I don't want. I guess this third aspect of it, this the reflection of the people behind you in the mirror, this is where we encounter problems such as magnifying fringe groups, mm. um, that kind of thing. Is, would that be correct? 
Yeah, so the algorithm is finding out what content is popular. And so if there are particular things that are becoming really popular with similar types of people to you, um, then it may choose to show you that content. And so that can lead to you starting down that sort of rabbit hole towards um, perhaps more fringe or more extremist views and content. Um, following Nick Clegg's argument, you, they wouldn't show you that if you weren't already interested. But I don't think that is entirely true. I think that uh, Facebook can become the gateway for how people find out about these groups mm. and this sort of content. Okay, say, for example, you have an aunt and uncle who are convinced that um, they're anti-vaxxers, say, for argument's mm-hmm. sake. You click on what they say because you want to know what these people are up to. If Facebook reads that as you being interested and feeds it more of it back to you? Yeah, so Facebook will just measure that as engagement. It doesn't necessarily know whether it was positive engagement or negative engagement. Um, and, and there are more sophisticated tools that are being developed. Um, there's like sentiment analysis of content and that sort of thing that could help with that. But as a general principle, if you're clicking on something, it just counts as engagement and Facebook says, okay, well, the user is potentially interested in this sort of content. Um, and that just feeds into the algorithm. Um, maybe it'll come up, it'll pop up later on. Maybe it won't. Um, It's a bit hard to say with certainty. And there's another aspect to the funhouse mirror analogy, third-party actors who are aiming at social disruption. Um, That's where you've got some other person moving the mirror around, um, and they know exactly how the mirror is designed. Well, maybe not exactly, but they think they know how the mirror is designed, and they think that they can take advantage of that to influence what is shown back to you as a user. Um, And so there are third parties, the worst case that we know of would have been Cambridge Analytica, and that was seven or eight years ago now, but all the way throughout there have been many cases of sort of political interference, manipulation of users to advance particular agendas or ends, whether that's to get people to vote for a particular party or to advance fringe views or even just to get people to buy a particular type of product. Um, there are people out there who kind of are, are more skilled at manipulating the algorithm than others and can change what is shown to users. We're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. Take that house! Take it now! I think the events on January 6th in the United States when uh, insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol and tried to overturn the results of the presidential election, has put a sort of spotlight on Facebook and on all the social media platforms that led to people essentially becoming so brainwashed that they thought that the election had been stolen and that this was a viable, proportionate, you know, appropriate response to that. Um, Particularly when you got more details of the sorts of people who were being arrested, who in some cases were, you know, hardcore white supremacists and, and militia members, but in other cases were teachers or former cops or uh, businessmen, you know, people who had just fallen down the Facebook or YouTube rabbit hole and then found themselves committing an ins- in insurrection. It's interesting you should say rabbit hole because it seems to me that this is it's so easy to do and at the same time you don't really know that you're doing it. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, Facebook would like to say that everyone who's on Facebook 
is making informed decisions around when I click on this thing, I'm sort of aware that it'll show me more of that type of content in the future because me clicking on it is telling Facebook that I like it. But I don't think people are really actually thinking that way when they're on Facebook. When they click on something, they're like, oh, that's interesting. And sometimes we click on things and actually find that we didn't like it in the end. You know, you'll click on a headline and then you'll read the story for a minute and you'll be like, actually, this is a boring article. I'm not interested at all. And you'll click out. But Facebook now thinks, well, they clicked on it. They like that sort of content and we'll show them a bit more. Facebook is so vast, though. Mark Dalder says it does need some sort of sorting feature. So what Facebook does is it looks at the sort of content that you like and when it is then structuring your news feed because if you have 500 friends on Facebook you've liked 20 different pages and you're in 50 different groups you can't see all of that on the same screen at the same time so it has to figure out a way to rank what's new what's interesting and what you'll find most interesting or or meaningful. People post a lot of things on Facebook. Actually the average person has thousands of things on any given day that they could read in their news feed. My name is Adam, and I look after Newsfeed at Facebook. And our mission on Newsfeed is to connect people with the stories that matter to them most. And to do this, we use a tool called Ranking. Ranking is a set of algorithms that we use to try to assess how interested people are in each and every story that they could see on Facebook. And Facebook uses an algorithm to do that rather than just saying, for example, you could have a very simple line of code that says, show all of the stuff from your friends first, then your groups, then your pages. But then, you know, if you have 500 friends, you'd never see anything from your groups or your pages. Uh, an algorithm is a bit more complex than that, so it can take in some of the information that you've given to Facebook before. If I've been liking a lot of pictures of my family members at, at different events, then it will know, okay, Mark likes to engage with content that, that is from his family members, so we'll rank that higher than, say, news articles, which he sometimes clicks on but doesn't do so as often. How, when you're talking about an algorithm which is generated by technology, which implicitly by itself is not evil, how does that get hijacked to start nudging people in a direction that, um, you know, the anti-vax direction, the white supremacist thing. Yeah. Um, I think there's two aspects to it. One is that the people who are designing the algorithm are not themselves inherently neutral. So their implicit biases might be written into it. So, and, and that includes, you know, things like Uh, someone saying actually more meaningful content is content from your friends and family not content from your groups or from news pages whereas some people might say actually I have a hobby that's really meaningful to me and I spend a lot of time in in a group related to that hobby and that's more important to me than my friends or family who I'm not as close with or something like that so the biases biases that are written into the algorithm will have an impact uh, and then it can become something of a feedback loop or a self-reinforcing cycle where if people are promoting a lot of, say, anti-vax content on Facebook and other people are engaging with that, Facebook may read that as this is meaningful to this person and then begin to prioritize that more, which means they're more likely to engage with it, which means it will be prioritized more and so on and so forth. Because there's no human making those moral decisions in the meantime. It's purely AI-driven. Yeah, there's a human uh, behind the algorithm overall, but there's no human making the decision on an individual basis for here's what Alexia should see on her news feed, here's what Mark should see on his. Um, there, there's some oversight of that, and there is work to reduce some of those biases uh, in the algorithm, but um, it's limited in, in scope. Uh, Facebook would say that they've done quite a good job on it, um, but I think looking at what happened on January 6th, it's clear that there's still more to go. How many people do go into the back workings of their Facebook page and and change their algorithm and 
um, you know, decide for themselves what their priorities are. Yeah, so fa- Facebook has increasingly allowed us to have a bit more control over how the algorithm stacks our newsfeed. The changes that they announced uh, a week or so ago gives people a bit more control than they used to have, and it also makes it a bit more uh, obvious that you have that option. So, for example, you used to be able to just structure your newsfeed chronologically. So whatever was the latest post would be the first thing you saw, regardless of whether it was from a friend or a family member or a group or a page or a news site or what have you. But that feature was buried quite a lot uh, back in in the settings, so not, not a lot of people accessed it. Uh, now they're saying we're going to make this feature more visible so people will be able to do it uh, a lot more easily and hopefully more people, you know, anyone who wants to be able to turn off that algorithm uh, will be able to do so. And they're also giving you a bit more control over what, uh, how the algorithm does prioritize things. So you can go into the settings and say, actually, Facebook does think I'm very interested in, in content around uh, mother's groups, but actually my child has grown up now and I'm not as interested in that, so I'll deprioritize that. But I think you're right in saying that it's not something that most people who go to Facebook are generally thinking about. Most people think about Facebook as this place to connect with your friends and family and are then sort of more unsuspectingly pulled into the rabbit hole. You know, you don't have to be on Facebook. Young people have ditched it for sexier platforms like TikTok. Yes, theoretically, we can turn off Facebook, uh, but it's become such a central part of our our social lives that it's not really a viable option for most people. That means Facebook has responsibilities to us as our sort of new public square that uh, go beyond its responsibilities to its shareholders. These are public interest responsibilities, not profit-based ones. And that's where regulation comes in. There is an argument that states have to regulate, um, that governments need to come in and say, okay, well, this sort of content serving is actually a form of psychological manipulation and you have to regulate to protect the people. Um, But I think governments have had a really long time already to try and figure this out and they seem to not be able to do it. But is this partly what the Christchurch call is aimed at? Yeah, the Christchurch call is its scope is much more narrow in that it is targeted at violent uh, and terrorist extremist content. Um, which means that it it doesn't necessarily get into misinformation or conspiracy theories. But the overall idea is how can we come uh, come to a multilateral agreement about how to deal with distasteful content on social media? And not just just distasteful, but content that has really negative offline impacts uh, as a result of what's happening online. You know, the the key example being the March 15 live stream, which wasn't just bad as an online product, but had real offline traumatizing impacts. But the broader questions around conspiracy theories and radicalization online, they aren't explicitly dealt with in the call. But I think that once you start to do uh, some work on that terrorist and violent extremist content, some of the other stuff can fall in line in a similar way, if that makes sense. Mm. When I was doing some research for this, I came across a quote just basically saying that these are not evil algorithms, that it's impressive code left unchecked. How fair is that comment? Um, To some extent it's fair in that the algorithms aren't inherently geared towards promoting anti-vax content or promoting white supremacist content. But often the algorithms are geared towards promoting whatever people are most likely to engage with. And that's more likely to be something that's provocative and um, outrageous and shocking. Mm. Um, 
you know, a lot of the spread of fake news, for example, has been found to be a result of people sharing it, not because they agree with it or believe it, but to say, can you believe this? Look at that. That's ridiculous. But then that means it's still getting more reach. And there are more people who might look at that and not have the same sort of critical view yeah. and, and fall for it. I think that where the governments are not going to act, then the onus then falls back on the corporations to self-regulate and do the right thing. And I mean, they always say, oh, we shouldn't be the ones making the decisions. It should be government telling us what we should or shouldn't do. But it's a bit of a cop-out because they are the ones that have been profiting off the decisions that they've made in the past. They are the ones that are continuing to influence people's lives. On the one hand, you know, the government has found it extremely helpful to be able to blast out advertising during the pandemic, for example, public health messaging through these uh, social networks to probably be able to target them to communities that might not otherwise see billboards or TV advertisements or, or what have you. On the other hand, you know, there was a, a registered political party in New Zealand, the Advanced New Zealand Party. It was a conspiracy theorist party, but it was registered under our law. And it was removed from Facebook in the days before the election last year for, for posting fake content and for repeatedly violating the rules. But it, it was removed. Um, that may be the right decision or the wrong decision. But there wasn't a lot of discussion at the time about, you know, this is, this is intervention by Facebook in the way our democracy op operates. It wasn't just the Electoral Commission saying this is fake and it can't be on the air. It wasn't the Broadcasting Standards Authority. You know, those are independent uh, agencies that are accountable to government, which is accountable to the people. It was Facebook making that decision mm. unilaterally. So I think it was probably the right decision, but there needs to be a broader discussion about the power that those companies have to make these sorts of decisions in our democratic, you know, political and social lives. What do you tell your mum about being on Facebook? I tell her to not use it if I can. <laughs> really? um, but, uh, you know, that's how she stays in touch with her family. Um, and so really I say, you know, engage with the content that is actually useful and interesting to you and try to ignore everything else. Um, the less that you engage with the stuff that is not actually relevant to you, the less that you engage with the stuff that you don't want to see, the less the algorithm will put it in front of you. That's it for today. Thanks to Mark Dolder and Dr Andrew Chen and Flo Wilson, who was the engineer for this episode. The Detail is a newsroom production for RNZ, made possible by NZ On Air. We're on all the usual podcast platforms. Hit subscribe and get a new episode downloaded every weekday. If you're an Apple user, please give us a rating. It helps others to find us. And if you do see a post from The Detail on Facebook, feel free to feed the algorithm and give us a like. I'm Alexia Russell. Kakita anō.